0: Thank you. Thank you that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but that you've been tempted in every way as we are, and yet you lived a perfect, sinless life. You are the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Praise you, Lord. You bore our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By your wounds, we have been healed. We are your children now, those who've believed, and our hope is in you. Your righteousness is righteous forever. Let our souls live and praise you, and let these incredible truths and our Ecclesia family help us to live in light of being bought with a price We celebrate the day you rose from the grave and showed all creation and all evil, that death has no say. Our enemy has been conquered. We look forward to your coming again with great anticipation as your bride. Jesus, come, make your face shine upon your servants and friends. Oh, how we love you. You have risen indeed in Jesus' name, and for his glory, we pray and believe. Amen.
1: Amen. You can grab a seat. Welcome, welcome. My name is Pastor Justin, and it's a joy to be with you guys. If you're a guest here, thanks for coming. This is our first Easter in our new home, and uh, it is, we're getting settled in well. It's a uh, It's a joy to be able to sing and celebrate uh, the celebration of Easter, where we get to celebrate the resurrected Christ. And as Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher of the 1800s said, the memorial of Christ's death is actually a festival, not a funeral. And we're to come to the table with gladsome hearts and go away from it with praises. Why? Because Jesus is risen and Jesus is alive, and this news should change us forever, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever received news or experienced something that changed your life forever? Something so great, so grand, or maybe actually even something so tragic that you couldn't help but do something? A message that forced you to get up and do something, that you had to make a change, that you had to take action, something that caused you to get up from your seat and you go, I got to respond. I remember, there's, there's been a lot of events in my life. I remember my sweet wife saying yes when I asked her to marry me. That changed my life. The, the responsibility, the, the thought of like, I'm not on my own anymore, changed my life. I remember taking my first ministry position at a church in Texas. It seemed too good to be true. But it was, a, it was a joy, it was an excitement to be able to step in, but there was a joy and fear of responsibility and the weight of shepherding people. And I was just like, man, this news of, of getting this re- responsibility, this changes my life. I remember finding out we were going to have our first child, and that changed my life. I remember discovering that someone I loved had had died and that changed my life, that it caused me to think that every moment matters and we gotta take advantage of today and be present. And there's certain events and certain areas of news that change us. And when we hear that news, we got to respond to that news, and the news of the resurrected Christ does just that. We cannot hear the news of the resurrected Christ and do nothing. It demands a response. And so that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to respond to the news of the resurrection. I recently heard a story of an unclaimed lottery ticket in Maryland. Now, this disclaimer, don't go play the lottery, all right? Don't gamble your money away. But uh, I think this illustration illustrates what I'm trying to accomplish here today. But this unclaimed lottery ticket in Maryland, supposedly someone purchased a lottery ticket that they were able to track down that was was purchased at an Exxon in Rockville, Maryland, and six months had passed and no one had claimed this lottery ticket. The prize, $10 million dollars. Someone had the winning lottery ticket. Someone had, it was, you know, tucked away. So they, they sent out, there was news articles put out. They, they, they published this everywhere they could find. Search your car, search your purses, search your wallets, look all over. And because the, the, the winning prize, $10 million, it was never claimed. And I want you to imagine, imagine that happening to you. Imagine winning $10 million and never claiming your prize. And you may go, That's a tragedy, right? That would change someone's life. There's someone out there whose life would be changed forever, but failed to cash in. And while this news may seem tragic, I would tell you this morning that this news fails to compare to those who have heard of the resurrection of Jesus and have failed to claim the gifts, the benefits, and the responsibilities of this news. I get that probably here this morning in a room like this, in a room of this size, there are people here who may just have never heard of the resurrection of Jesus or understand the implications of the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe there are some who are here this morning that you may have rejected the message, and you, you kind of put it off as folklore, as fiction. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you just fail to see the implications it has for your life today, but this is life-changing, life-altering news that demands a response. And what I want you to see this morning as we kind of walk through Acts chapter 2 is we're going to see how did the first people who heard about the resurrected Christ, how did they respond? And then I'm going to call us to respond. Peter is going to get up and preach a sermon here in Acts chapter two, and I want to kind of give you a little bit of backstory this morning. If you're brand new or stepping in, and you're like, "What in the world? Acts chapter two? What is that?" Uh, I, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of the background and backstory, so can, you can kind of be caught up to speed with where we're at this morning. Um, in our Bibles, uh, the the message of Jesus is told from four different accounts. Those four accounts are Matthew, Mark. Luke and John. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each one of these guys records uh, their, their, their kind of journey with Jesus and, and how they saw Jesus and the stories that that unfolded and, and how they, they would see Jesus interact in the relationships. And so we see all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's about the life of Jesus, and it leads us all the way up. Each one of these uh, books in our Bible end with the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus resurrects from the grave and we come to the early part, the, we turn the page, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get into the book of Acts. And this starts about what did the church do then? What did the church, how did the church respond to this good news that Jesus was resurrected? And what you're going to see out of the gates right here in Acts chapter one is, is that, that the disciples are going to be gathered there. And it says that Jesus, uh, was present on the earth for 40 more days before he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so for 40 days, uh, he journeyed. There were eyewitness accounts. There were 500 plus people, it tells us in 1 Corinthians, that saw the resurrected Christ. Uh, There were people that experienced that life. And and you can imagine their, their joy, their excitement as Jesus rose from the grave. And they're like, we're really gonna do this now. We're, we're going to totally redeem Israel, and this is going to be our time. And, and, and so they come to Jesus right here in Acts chapter 1, and they're like, Hey, Jesus, uh, is, is, is this the time that you're going to restore Israel? Is this the time where we're really going to you know, become you know, this, this you know, movable force that we're going to move in, and we're going to take charge, and, and you're going to start your kingdom, and everything's going to happen? And he comes here in Acts chapter 1, and he actually says, No. And it it had to be a little bit confusing. It had to be a little bit challenging. Right here in Acts chapter 1, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples come to him. They're like, hey, are you going to do this? And and is this the time you're going to restore Israel? And he's like, no, but, but you will you will be my witnesses, you will be the person, you will be the people, you will be the church that takes this good news of the resurrection of Jesus. You're going to be this one who takes this good news and sees it spread throughout the entire world. Now, if you don't know much about the disciples, you wouldn't have high hopes or expectations for this group of men. When we read back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their journey with Jesus, they denied Jesus, they doubted Jesus, they, they fought and argued about who should be the leader, they failed to carry out many of the responsibilities that they were given, they were fearful, and anyone who is seeking to change the world would not bet on these men. They have no chance of accomplishing anything, right? Right? And, and now their faithful friend and teacher, Jesus, is gone because it tells us right after uh, in Acts 1.8, it says, you're going to receive power. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he left. And it says the disciples just stood there gazing into heaven. You can imagine they're like, what in the world do we do? And 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 they're fearful, and it says in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, they pulled away, they went back to the upper room in Jerusalem, they gathered, they prayed. They're probably they're, they're probably fearful, they're probably wondering when's the Holy Spirit going to come? When is this power from, from, from Jesus going to fill us? And 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 it's a lot of confusion and a lot of fear. And 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 we're thinking, really, just like this ragtag group of people, they're the ones, they're the people who are gonna take the message forward, but obviously they were successful. How do we know? Because you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for this group of men. So what happened? The resurrection happened. The resurrection happened and here's what it caused. First thing, the resurrection led to change. The resurrection led to change See, these people who were close to Jesus, who had received the news of the resurrected Christ, they were changed forever. They were impacted by this good news of Jesus, and they're ready to go. But Jesus tells them to wait in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, do not depart Jerusalem, but wait. And for 10 days they waited. Now, I don't know about you, some of you, myself included, I struggle with the hour of prayer. Okay, these guys were, were meant to huddle up for 10 days. They huddled up for 10 days waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to carry out this work. I'll see you later. They stood gazing into heaven, and it's like they're told to wait. I think Pastor J.D. Greer, we, uh, we've been walking through a book together as a church called Jesus Continued, and he actually says this. He said, every person on the earth at this time needed to hear the gospel, and these are the only guys in the world who knew anything about it. Some of the disciples had to be type A. Can't you just hear them murmuring under their breath? Like, oh, wait, but... There's a world of great need out there, and it's getting more lost by the moment. We need to raise money now. Matthew, take up an offering. Peter, write some sermons. John, write a book. James, organize a pastor's conference. Thomas, get to work on an apologetics manual. And regardless of what they may have thought, however, they did what Jesus told them to do they waited for 10 days. They did absolutely nothing. About thousands of unreached people groups languishing without the gospel, millions of people in slavery, and thousands of orphans in need of adoption. What did they do? They waited. They waited for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it changed them. How do I know? Because Peter, who we read about in the gospel accounts, was just like... Pages before, was just denying Jesus, running afraid. And Peter is now going to step up boldly as the leader and is about to preach the sermon of a lifetime, all right? This is like the sermon that we as preachers like dream about preaching, okay? We wanna preach this type of sermon. And in Acts chapter two, verse 14 through 15, Peter starts his sermon and he says this, "'But Peter, standing with the 11, "'lifted up his voice and addressed them,' Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk. Now here's the deal. Any sermon that starts out with, these people are not drunk, is about to be the best sermon ever. Right? Like, Imagine you walk in and maybe you're brand new here today and we're thankful you're here and you're, you're gathered and you hear these people yelling weird things like hallelujah and Christ is risen indeed and then we get up and say, hey, just so you know, these people aren't drunk and they're not. I know a lot of these people and they're filled with the spirit. They love Jesus and Jesus has changed them and that's why we come and we get to rejoice this morning and we get to sing. Because the Holy Spirit changes us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of Him who raised Jesus, so the very spirit that raised, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, it says, it dwells in you. As believers in Jesus, the very power that raised Jesus from the grave exists within believers. So he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 talks about this new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism, which we're going to celebrate here in a few minutes, is a picture is being buried with Christ it's it's identifying with Jesus in his death but as they come up out of the water God has given us new life by his spirit why because the resurrection changes it changes how our life our lives are forever altered because of this and this resurrection of Jesus made this newness of life possible they were changed they were changed. They weren't drunk. They were changed by the resurrection. They were filled with joy. In Acts chapter 22, not only did they think they were drunk, but they're experiencing some boldness from them that they've never experienced from the church before. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 23, Peter says, men of Israel, He's speaking to these people who have been blind to Jesus. Jesus has has walked the earth and they didn't see him. They didn't recognize him as the son of God, as God made flesh, as God, the person, the Messiah, the Savior, Lord. They didn't recognize him. They were blind to that. And he speaks to these blind fellows and says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him, killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, I'm not a very smart person, but I learned early on in a conflict situation, it's better to use I statements versus you statements, okay? Rather than saying... Guys, pay pay attention, all right? Rather than saying, you did this, you did that, you made me, you should say, I feel this way. I was hurt. I get frustrated. And using I statements gets people to kind of join your side versus drawing lines, okay? And Peter basically says, hey, you know Jesus, right? You know the guy who did mighty works and wonders. He healed all those people. The person sent here by God. You know that guy? You crucified him. And it's like, man, Peter, the very guy who was running afraid, like the very guy who, who people came and said, hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't know that guy. He's the very guy who's standing up and going, hey, you guys crucified Jesus. And he's mad about it. He's preaching. He's doing what I'm doing right now. And we have to ask ourselves the question, I think, has the resurrection of Jesus Changed you? Has it changed you? See, this wasn't just something that the early church experienced. The resurrection of Jesus didn't just change them, it changes us today. Our lives should be forever altered by the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe I ask you the question this morning Does your life give evidence of the resurrection? Do you illustrate this type of boldness in proclaiming Jesus? in light of the resurrection. I don't know about you, but like, I, I, sometimes I just, I feel a little awkward. I don't want to be that awkward guy that's standing up in the middle of, you know, the, the, the middle of the mall and, and like, hey, you know this guy, Jesus, that everybody's rejected? Actually, he's the son of God. And uh, your sins, because of your sins, you crucified him. And, and you're like, you don't want to be that guy because that's weird, right? And, but it's like it's the good news of Jesus. And and this this news of the resurrected Christ, if, we're, if we've been given that good news, why would we keep it to ourselves? We have to share it. Our lives have been changed, our lives have been altered, our lives have been redeemed. Our lives have been forever changed by this news of the resurrection. We have a future hope we didn't have. We have hope of a resurrection because he lives. We know we will live. We know we will rise. It changes us. It should change us. It should change how you wake up on Monday morning. The resurrection changes us. So I think we can see here in Acts chapter two, we see this amazing transformation in the early followers of the disciples. We see this boldness in in Peter as he gets up and preach. And I would say, I look at a group of people who have fully cashed in and claimed all there was in the resurrection. They left nothing to go unclaimed. They're like, I want all the benefits of the resurrection. I want him to change every aspect of me. I want this newness of life. But not only did it lead to change, it led to confidence. Confidence. Peter continues his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 36. It says, this Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So he's like, you can experience it. The very thing that Jesus said he's coming to do, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're experiencing it. It said, for David did not descend, ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to, to, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And what he's basically saying is David was a prophet. David testified long ago about the coming Jesus. And here's what he says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. For certain. Let me ask you today, do you have certainty of the resurrection of Jesus? Do you have certainty about who Jesus is and who Jesus claimed to be? Do you have certainty and confidence in knowing the character and nature of Jesus? And this is what he says in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Who? The Jesus whom you crucified. You may ask certain of what? And, and this should give us evidence, and, and, and this should, should really move us. The resurrection gives us confidence that Jesus is God. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be God. And, you know, some people, myself included, we make outrageous claims at times, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to accomplish this, and then we really can't, like, stand behind it. We can't really back it up. It's like uh, we, we say in Texas, like, all hat, no cattle, Right? Like, you look like you play the part. Like, you got a big cowboy hat, but you don't actually have a cattle. You know, you, you, don't, you don't have a ranch. You don't have, that's the story. Jesus has the hat and the cattle. That's what I'm saying. Jesus has it both. Why? Because he made outrageous claims. He said he was God. And that claim right there is outrageous. You gotta back that up. You can't just claim, I'm God, and not act upon that. And so the very fact that Jesus rose from the grave, you know, like none of us have, an, you know, like, well, I thought my, you know, third uncle did that one time. Like we've never seen, that's never happened, right? Like resurrected from the grave. This is crazy. This is, this claim, it shows that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. This resurrection should give us confidence in God's forgiveness because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And so if you're here today and you're, you're experiencing guilt and shame and condemnation, Jesus came, Jesus gave his life, Jesus was crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus rising from the grave shows us that that was God's perfect sacrifice. He gave evidence of that, that Jesus' gift of giving his life was the acceptable sacrifice. It gives us confidence that we can change, right? That there is a potential in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus comes and lives inside us and changes us that the things that we're struggling with today doesn't have to be our struggle for the rest of our life, that we can be changed. And this resurrection gives us confidence that death isn't the end, that there's a future hope. And maybe you're here and you're going, well, what evidence do I have that the resurrection really happened? I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I didn't experience it. Well, let me give you a few and, and, and some things that we have to wrestle with. And I'll just mention six this morning. And There's a lot more, and we could spend a significant amount of time talking about evidences of the resurrection. But what Peter is preaching here is he's showing them that this man, Jesus, who they crucified, was really resurrected from the grave. And it was that message that, proclaimed, that was proclaimed to them that caused this change. And so in hopes this morning, I want to give you some evidences of the resurrection so that that you would believe and that in believing you would give your life to follow Jesus. And so we have to ask the question, if Jesus wasn't truly resurrected, then where's his body? If the early church were to go and and make this outlandish claim that Jesus is resurrected from the grave, then the Romans who were holding the tomb under guard, Roman soldiers were placed at, at the entrance of the tomb where Jesus's body was laid you would think that they would just be able to go and as the church folk are are basically making these outlandish claims of the resurrected Jesus that the Roman officials would say, you crazy people, you silly kids, like look, right here in the tomb is the body of Jesus. But they couldn't do that. They don't know where the body of Jesus is. And this is what has, has, has given us evidence of the validity of the resurrection. A stone was placed in, in front of the, the entrance to that, that cave, that tomb. That stone weighed over 4,000 pounds. And so some people claim that, you know, people would just roll in and they would just move the stone and, you know, maybe the guards were sleeping. And uh, as they slept, they, they moved a 4,000-pound stone um, that was tied and had a Roman seal stamped on it. And and under the, the cover of night, these fearful disciples who are running afraid only hours before and denying Jesus now just have an automatic onset of bravery and decided to go on to to accomplish something that was punishable by death. And they're going to move a 4,000 pound stone where Roman soldiers are positioned and they're going to take the body of Jesus and hightail it out of there. This didn't happen. So, we see that these are some of the evidences of this. There's a broken Roman seal, and so there was a rope that was tied around the stone, and a wax seal was placed on that, and that was the the Roman it the Roman seal was affixed to that, and basically saying there are uh, very heavy consequences for anyone who breaks this. It was basically threatening anyone who would come. Um, the tomb was empty. The the fact like. There, Jesus' body wasn't there. And so like, we have to ask the question, where's Jesus' body? Obviously the large stone we talked about, 4,000 pounds. Uh, and it wasn't just like it was rolled aside. All of the accounts of the, the resurrection of Jesus is the stone was removed. It was like put off quite a distance. And so it, it wasn't like there was a bunch of CrossFitters going in there and, and taking this stone and like, all right, let's put it on our shoulders and, and carry it out. Like, it would have been noisy. It would have been, and there's Roman guards positioned there, okay? The grave clothes is basically, it tells us that, that Jesus' body was prepared and wrapped in linen cloths, and these linen cloths, if you were to go and, and to, to remove the body of Jesus, I would assume if you're trying to, like, rob someone, you're not meticulous, and it tells us in all the gospel accounts that the grave clothes were neatly prepared and, like, folded, Okay, and 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 like I said, it was just like if we're going in to get Jesus, we're going to get Jesus. We're going to grab him on our shoulders. We're going to take off. Uh, but the, the they were he was unwrapped, and those grave clothes were presented. And the Gospel account makes this very clear. It makes this picture obviously the eyewitnesses, over five hundred people saw them, and they talk. Well, what maybe they're hallucinating? Really, five hundred people. Um, You know, that's some kind of Woodstock, right? Like, uh, so there's eyewitnesses. And I would say the most, like the the biggest evidence that we're going to see even today as we see people baptized is that Jesus is still changing lives today. The the church has stood the test of time. Like we continue on. We're the ongoing work that Jesus started 2,000 plus years ago. We are the continuation of that and lives are still being changed. Lives are being transformed. My life as an 18-year-old was forever changed because of Jesus and because of the resurrection of Jesus. Today, we get to baptize friends. Why? Because Jesus changed their life. Jesus is, is changing them even now. And so these are, these are some of the evidences that we see. And there's many of us who, who don't live with that confidence, there's many of us who, who don't necessarily have that confidence that Jesus rose from the grave. And I would just have you consider the evidence that is there. It takes way more faith to deny the resurrection of Jesus than it does to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And if he is alive, it changes everything. Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is, is pondering if the, if the resurrection isn't real, if the resurrection didn't really happen, he's basically saying then, why are we in danger every hour? Why, why am I dying every day? Why did I fight with the beast at Ephesus? And we don't even know what that means, but it's like, Paul's just sitting here referencing, he's like, why in the world am I going through all of this if the resurrection didn't really happen? And I would tell you, the reason he goes through all of these, the reason he is willing to face danger every hour, the, the reason Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to die every day, the reason Paul is able to say, I'm going to fight the beast at Ephesus is because he has confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. It's impossible to live with confidence without knowing the truth about the resurrection of Jesus. Is your life shaped or altered by the resurrection? It tells us, if the dead aren't raised, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die basically live for the day, indulge in selfish pleasures. Why live? But the resurrection is true and it should give us confidence. The last thing is the resurrection led to conviction. It leads to change, right? Leads to confidence and it leads to conviction. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, here's what they said. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The appropriate response to the resurrection of Jesus is this question. What shall we do? What do we do? If the resurrection of Jesus is real, if there's evidence about the resurrection of Jesus that we need to wrestle with, if this message that the person Jesus who was crucified is the Son of God, is God in the flesh, is Lord, is the Messiah, is the Savior of the world that all the Old Testament prophecies testified towards and and said, this Jesus, this is Jesus, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior of the world, this is the person who redeems us, who sets us free. If that's true, if if that person is the person we crucified, and, and he rose from the grave, and he is truly resurrected, then all of us should ask the question, all of us should be cut to the heart, all of us should be convicted and go, what do we do? What do we do? It demands a response. You can imagine them hearing this. You can imagine how horrified they were by what they've done. But they humbled themselves. They grieved the pain that they caused and they were cut to heart in their conviction because what they discovered is the claim That Peter was preaching in this message, it was true. It was true. And so, the response to them, knowing that it's true, when they asked, What do we do? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. What I'm saying to you this morning is this message of the resurrection is true. You are the proud owner of an invitation of having your life changed forever by God. But you have to claim it. It's way better than a $10 million lottery ticket. I'm telling you, as someone who's followed Jesus for 20 years, I would take the resurrection of Jesus over $10 million every single day. I don't just do that as I stand up here and I'm just a gospel preacher and like, want to just preach the good news. I'm telling you, our family packed up their life in Texas, moved to Salt Lake City to preach the good news of Jesus, of who Jesus is, and and the claims of who Jesus, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that should forever alter your life because we believe so much in this message, and we believe it alters and changes your life, and we want you to have the confidence and the conviction that living for Jesus is the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. The people hearing this message, they were struck. What do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. There's no other appropriate response. Now, if you're here this morning and you've been in church for any length of time, you go, repent, be baptized, I've done that. Well, I would tell you repentance isn't a one-time event. Baptism is. Repentance isn't a one-time event. As believers in Jesus, we're called to live lives of repentance. There are areas of our life right now here in 2022 that we are not living with the confidence and boldness of the resurrection. And I, I pray this morning that as we are struck with these claims in a fresh way, that we would see the boldness of this church, that we would see the boldness of these, this people that have, that have been imparted the Holy Spirit and it changed them. And we would ask even now, Jesus, change me like that. Change me, give me a boldness, give me a confidence to proclaim the good news of Jesus like that. I want that, I desire that. These people aren't drunk. They've been transformed. These people aren't brave. They've just been empowered by the Holy Spirit. These people aren't perfect. They're just people of conviction who are seeking to follow Jesus. That's who we are as a church. We're just people that want to be changed by the Holy Spirit. We're just people that want to follow Jesus and walk in obedience to Jesus. And if you're here today, and you've never been baptized and you've never identified with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus by giving your life to Jesus, surrendering. As, as Peter proclaimed that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, he's savior meaning that he sets us free from our sins, but he's also Lord, meaning we get to we, we are now called to submit our lives to him. He's the boss, he's the head coach, he's in control. So I surrender my life to him and I put my life in it. I die to myself, I give my life and that's what we celebrate in baptism. Baptism is a picture of dying to ourselves, dying to our own desires and giving our life and submitting our life to Jesus. And you might ask, why, do, why would you do that? Because Jesus commanded us to do that. Jesus commanded us to baptize and to be baptized. And so in in obedience to Jesus, because he is Lord, he is Messiah, and, and anybody who's Lord and Messiah like they're, they're worth listening to. I would, anyone who can die and resurrect from the grave is worth listening to. And so this is what he's called us to. He's called us to submit our lives. And maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for years, but there is a surrender that even needs to happen today that you need to surrender your life to Jesus fresh and anew this morning. I'm not telling you you need to be baptized, but you need to look back at your baptism and you need to celebrate that what we get pictured in this Horse trough, here in just a few minutes, is that you're buried with Christ. Your old life has, has died, and we need to be reminded of that. And as we come up out of the water, His, His Holy Spirit empowers us to live a new life, and we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, Amen. and we need to be surrendered to that. And so I would just even ask you in the next few moments as we respond, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. But I would just ask you even this morning of what aspects of your life need to be altered or changed or surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus this morning, that we need to die to those things. And as we celebrate even in baptism this morning, what is it that you need to die to? Maybe this morning you're confronted in the same way that that these people who heard this message, you're confronted with the truth of the message of Jesus, that Jesus is real. And here's what I'm going to ask you this morning is maybe you should get baptized. And you're like, well, I didn't bring a swimsuit. That's okay. We got towels. We'll send you home. What's the worst that can happen? I'm praying and asking that the Lord would even right now would cut some of us to the heart, to the, to the validity of who Jesus is and what Jesus has claimed and that Jesus has come. Jesus has given his life. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried. He was put in a tomb and then he rose. And the power of Jesus that, that, that rose him from the grave now is given to us. It's amazing. It's crazy. It should change us. It demands a response. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you submitted your life to Jesus? Do you know the resurrected Christ? Do you know what is offered to you in the resurrection of Jesus? And I tell you this morning, if you have any doubts There is absolutely no reason to leave here with those doubts. You can leave with confidence. You can leave with the hope of the resurrection. You can leave with forgiveness. And so I want us to just close our eyes and and just as a way of just focusing here for a few minutes. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins this morning? In the same way as they were were cut to the heart, we hope that you would be cut to the heart. We hope that this message would convict you. We hope that it would reveal your sin. We hope that it would reveal your need for forgiveness. We hope that you would see Jesus as the, the perfect sacrifice, as God in the flesh. We hope that you would see his resurrection We hope that you would see changed lives as proof that this message is real. Don't leave this gift unclaimed this morning. We're going to have a time of prayer here in a moment. And I just want to invite you, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, that I would encourage you to just do that. There's no magical prayer. There's no magical sentence. There's no uh, special formula. It's just crying out with your need before God. Admitting your sin and admitting your need. It may sound something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking on my sin. I'm asking you, in the best way I know how, to change me, to set me free, to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit, to give me confidence in the resurrection, and to convict me over sin. Lord, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, it would be our greatest encouragement to celebrate that with you, to help you, to encourage you. This message of who Jesus is demands a response. What will be your response this morning? We have people at the back of the doors today. We're going to stand and we're going to have a few songs of worship and then we're going to celebrate baptism together. Maybe you're here this morning and, uh, and you're like, hey, I, I've i given my life to Jesus and I want to be baptized. I'd encourage you, I'll be in the back of the room, come talk to us. Uh, if, if you're here this morning and, and you've made that decision to give your life to Jesus, we would love to celebrate that with you. Come back and talk to us. We're going to have people stationed in the back of the room. If you have any any prayer need at all big or small it would be our greatest encouragement and joy to pray for you we'll be in the back of the room to do that so Father we thank you for this morning we thank you for this time of celebrating the resurrection this message demands a response and I pray in the next few moments that each of us would respond that you would change us that you would give us confidence and boldness and that you would convict us. In Jesus' name, amen.